There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod, Pina of Sports Illustrated. Michael, judging by the Open Floor Mail inbox from this weekend, we are getting all sorts of takes on some of the contenders and wannabe contenders around the league. Some frustration about the Boston Celtics, some excitement about the Brooklyn Nets, some anxiety or unease about the uh, Los Angeles Lakers, and maybe even a dash of optimism thrown in for the Philadelphia 76ers. It feels to me right now at this time of the season, about two months in where the new car smell is off all of these teams, right? We're probably not going to see the best case version of themselves. The only team that really hasn't had a ton of adversity is the Utah Jazz, but I think most people have a good you know, grip on, on where they stand. Um, you know, relative, you know, between their regular season success and their potential uh, postseason achievements. But for some of these other teams, they're still settling in. They're still trying to get their bearings. Maybe, uh, you know, fans are starting to give up on the best case. Maybe now fans are talking themselves in uh, to some of these teams in, in different ways. So I thought what we would do today is run through uh, a few takes we got from listeners on these various teams. And you could just update us, Michael, provide us the absolute latest and greatest from your brain drain on where we stand with some of these organizations. What do you think? Absolutely perfect. Can't wait. And then somewhere in the middle, we're going to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves basically just poaching a coach off of another team's bench and just <laughs> dropping him into their organization midweek. We're just going to you know, sp- mm. sprinkle that in somewhere as we go. Um, apologies to Ryan Saunders, who did his absolute best in a tough, tough situation there in Minnesota. 
All right, Michael, our first email comes in from Jackson, and you'll remember he was the Nets fan like a month or two ago who was wringing his hands saying, I don't really know if I want James Harden. I love that plucky Nets group from two years ago. I just want an overachieving team that can barely reach 500 and somewhat get me excited because I'm a hipster. Jackson has now watched these Brooklyn Nets go on a 5-0 and West Coast swing. I think they're up to a six-game winning streak. They've been doing it without Kevin Durant, who's sidelined. James Harden is playing better basketball right now than anybody in the Eastern Conference. All these talking heads and bloviators, Michael, who did not have him in their starting lineup for the Eastern Conference All-Star team will live to regret it, and that includes you. But Jackson writes, I'm checking in after the latest Nets win to bring their record to 19-12. and 12. In the last three minutes, I watched James Harden miss two important free throws, an ATO play that involved passing the ball to Kyrie Irving for a difficult miss three with a lot of time left, and DeAndre Jordan guarding the inbounder so Kawhi could drive one-on-one against James Harden with no rim protection. And guess what? It all still worked. Nets win. Given this ability to play losing basketball and still win, I think the Nets are a clear finals team. There's some trepidation typing those words, especially as I found myself worrying about an extended absence from Jeff Green. For a team with clear flaws, such as players with long injury histories, players with the history of playoff implosion, inexperienced coaching, players with a history of uh, you know capitalizing the basketball, and, uh, and defensive concerns, I'm still not at all worried. This team is a classic candidate to add a P.J. Tucker type and a viable center rotation via buyout or trade, and then all the small market fans are going to get so upset. So Jackson has gone a complete 180 right on schedule, Michael. I'm pretty sure I might have predicted this one a couple months ago, and that's why I asked him to write back in. But that's that intoxicating feeling and and sense of uh, victory, isn't it, Michael? Have you done the same? Are you right there with Jackson ready to proclaim the Brooklyn Nets finally as the Eastern Conference favorites? Because I know you've been a little reluctant here, Michael. I have, and my opinions haven't really changed uh, at all about this team. I still think that Harden and Kyrie and KD are three of the six, seven best offensive players in the league. Two of them are the best offensive players of our lifetime and probably in the history of the sport. So they're going to be very good. That's just kind of what it is. Um, They can score on anybody. They have the best offense in the NBA um, over the past however many weeks it's been. I don't even know. But they're, they're very good. They score the ball efficiently. I still have the exact same concerns as I have since this threesome was put together. Um you know, their defense is still near the bottom of the league in the last six games. All of them that they've won, they're, they've got the 22nd best defense in the league. So, like, skyrocketing, you know, Michael. Skyrocketing. They're, they're up to 24th ex- yeah. on defense. Come on. I mean, <laughs> baby steps. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, though. Um, I mean, they're not 30th like they were there for a while or, you know, 29th, whatever. <laughs> I mean, that is some level of improvement. They're playing enough defense to beat good teams, right? The Lakers, uh, the Clippers. That's not always something that we necessarily expected from them. And those games weren't even really shootouts in a way. If you look back at the scores, it wasn't like they were you know, back into that Atlanta Hawks mode, 140 to 138. Are the concerns about their defense overblown, Michael? I'm not saying they're a great defense. I'm not saying they have a top 10 potential. I'm not saying I don't close my eyes anytime DeAndre Jordan's on the court because I do those things. 
However, is this a crippling issue? Are we sure? Yes, it is. Um, I'm not saying that they, it's a 0% chance that they can win the championship because this season is weird and offense seems to be all that matters right now in the NBA. And like I said, they have three guys who can ISO anytime they want and get a pretty good look. So I'm, not, I'm just, I think that their offense is, it's scintillating. It's borderline unprecedented. No disrespect to the 2017 Golden State Warriors. Yeah, but I was going to ask at, you that. Who, who had a more fun offense to watch? I mean, this Brooklyn team, and we haven't seen them a ton with KD, so that part's a little bit tricky, but I have never mm-hmm. enjoyed watching James Harden play basketball more than I have these last two months. I really do feel uh, like he's being he's being underrated, man. I, I really feel that way. He's moving the basketball well. He's playing with better pace. I feel like there's... Okay, the last five seconds of that Clippers game notwithstanding, I feel like there's less shenanigans. <laughs> I feel like there's less flopping and shenanigans in general. Um, and I think he's making quicker decisions when he gets into a step back three rather than just pound, pound, pound for 15 or 20 seconds. I have never particularly liked watching Kyrie Irving uh, play or his style, but I think he's in a great groove, has stayed in that great groove, found a really nice balance with Harden that I just did not expect whatsoever. Those two are like night and day compared to watching Harden play uh, with Russell Westbrook, and I think it's been a cleaner fit offensively than even Harden and, and Chris Paul, although I think ultimately that pairing was better. There's a lot to like with this group. I mean, I, I might still take the 2017 Warriors just for sheer world-dominating firepower and the younger Draymond Green um, influence, which I just absolutely adored. But this group's right there. I never thought we would see a team this quickly after that 2017 Warriors team kind of force it into be a conversation. I don't want to digress too far, but you saying that you don't enjoy watching Kyrie play just like knocked me off of my chair for a second. So I'm just Why? like getting, gaining my my bearings right now because he's he's a roller coaster ride. He's a, he's he's incredible. It's like cinema. He's it's like watching a wizard do magic tricks. It's like he's inc- it's so much fun. How could you not like that? Yeah, it was great. That great magic trick when he was trying to guard Giannis in the playoffs <laughs> and and telling everybody well, else like- to let it to get out of his way. I really enjoyed that. I enjoy the 25 games per year that he sits out uh with injuries. No, I mean, look, I like consistent night-to-night players. That is something that's a value that I've always had when I'm analyzing basketball. And for Kyrie, that's been like the missing link for him, right? His highs are so incredibly high. His creativity is off the charts. Can he do it every single night? What does his baseline look like? Is he always out there? Is he gelling with his teammates? Is he taking away from the team concept? Those are things that bother me when guys do that. And he's, it's working. I mean, him and Harden have a great two-man dynamic. It's worked when KD's been out there as well. There's been much less tension than I expected. They do kind of get into some my turn, your turn stuff, but everyone's turn is working, so it's not really an issue yet. That could flare up in the playoffs for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that the movement uh, that Golden State had in 2017, just the sheer efficiency, the fact that they were kind of you know uh, trailblazing new grounds, I think in some of this stuff um, gives them a slight edge. But Brooklyn is pretty darn close, and I've enjoyed. I like I watch these guys almost every single night, uh, and I, I don't know if I expected that when they first got Harden, but um, I can't take my eyes off them, Michael. I, I sense that you're not having the same experience. No, I'm not. Um, I guess, you know, after they lost to the Detroit Pistons in embarrassing fashion, uh, they came out and they beat the Indiana Pacers the next day. And I think Steve Nash made some comments about how that loss uh, in Detroit was like a turning point for them defensively. 
So, you know, I, I look at some of the scores uh, from this West Coast road trip. You know, they give up 117 to the super small Warriors in their first game. They give up 125 to a Sacramento Kings team that's just, like, not able to win basketball games uh, anymore, which is a shame. They give up 124 to the Phoenix Suns, and they had a, a great comeback. Harden was magnificent in that basketball game, but they were down, what, 25 or something early in the third quarter. Uh, you know, they beat the Lakers. Cool. AD isn't there. Schroeder did not play in that game. Uh, so, like, congratulations, I suppose. And then this Clippers. So let's let's game, say it with your chest. They're frauds, Michael. Is that what you're saying? They're, they're not frauds. I'm just not ready to necessarily put a crown on top of their head. Um, I think the regular season is really built for a team like this that can coast off of superior talent, like incredible star power. Um, but in a playoff series, I'm just very interested to see how it goes for them. And Totally fair. You know, well, know- let's highlight that game uh, between the Nets and the yeah. Clippers. It comes right down to the final minute. Did you think Kawhi Leonard should have had a flagrant on that last play when he shoved off on James Harden? I mean, they only gave him the offensive foul call. Should the refs have taken in an extra degree further? I've been refreshing my email waiting for <laughs> the fine a, a notifi- <laughs> no- notification from nba pr to let me know that uh, Kawhi leonard has been kicked out of the nba yeah that was very violent i can't believe um that happened okay no, I well, just, well as a net skeptic though <laughs> what was your biggest takeaway from that game i mean was there something that gave you pause because it's kind of a strange game i mean paul george doesn't close it um you know i think beverly is in foul trouble again if i'm not mistaken Kawhi leonard had a nice night harden went nuts again and I, i'm just going to continue banging that drum because i know there's a lot of people out there who still are really caught up in his ugly exit in Houston. I don't necessarily want to erase that from the history books, but this guy is writing a new chapter as we speak, and I think it's important that we we, we keep uh, an eye on that as well. What did you see in that particular game? What was your biggest takeaway on Brooklyn's side? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I think that you know they had a 15-point lead like midway through the fourth, and they should have lost the game. Uh, so that's not superb but when I look at the like my box score takeaway and box score takeaways are always kind of useless in one game sample sizes but something intrigued me which is one team played nine guys uh the Los Angeles Clippers like Serge Ibaka played 20 minutes Lou Williams played 20 something minute like just just not really it was a regular season game for them as you said Paul George plays 32 and then he leaves with three minutes to go despite being like an erupting volcano throughout the entire game when he had like 34 or something like that just couldn't miss they would have won the game if he played the last three minutes I think that's obvious for anyone who was watching um but the other team the Nets like vintage Mike D'Antoni substitution pattern here they play basically seven guys and I know that some people are out because of injury and uh, I know that, you know, obviously KD was out, which changes the rotation a little bit. But, like, they treated it basically like a must-win playoff game. And I'm just like, it's 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 the middle of February. Like, who cares? It, it, like, it, the Clippers are basically behaving like a team that is slowly building itself for uh, a playoff run. Just they're tinkering with their rotation. You know, Luke Kennard's been out of the rotation for the past few games, which is really interesting. Terrence Mann has played really well, but Ty Lu just functionally is just treating the rotation, treating the playing style. 
mixing things up uh, on the fly a lot, and it's just it's it, it looks like a team that's trying to 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 prepare itself for having to play a lot of different ways. And the Nets are just like, this is who we are, and um, like we are stone cold committed to beating you on this given night with Harden and I, Kyrie playing forty minutes, and it's just. I don't know. It's it's like yeah, no. They should have lost the game. It's a real tortoise in the hair dynamic between those two teams, right? Like the Nets are the hair. I mean, there I've never seen a faster rabbit in the NBA. I mean, that's exactly what they're <laughs> trying to do. It's so funny because Steve Nash came in and got a lot of Steve Kerr comparisons, and Kerr's whole thing that he was always getting crushed for was strength in numbers, where he's going to like the twelfth and thirteenth guy on the rotation. We're gonna get minutes from. Festus Azili, no matter how slow he is around the court and all that kind of stuff. But for Brooklyn, it's like Steve Nash doesn't even know the names of the guys past the, the top eight of his rotation. And I'm actually, quite frankly, not that bummed that Kevin Durant's been missing time left and right here because I just think any game that he can buy, you know, in advance of the playoffs is good. He came out, showed that he can play high level basketball, showed that he can handle big minutes. This hamstring strain, you know, whatever it is, keeps him sidelined for another week. It's almost like a blessing in disguise. I sort of feel the same way about the Anthony Davis situation for the Lakers with them coming off of the tight turnaround. Uh, you know, this offseason and then needing to ramp back up for a playoff run where he's going to be kind of like the key X factor in every single playoff series that they play. The more rest you can kind of get these guys now, to me, it's better in the long run, especially because they've established themselves still as high level players this season. So it is a little bit concerning um, how they are trying so hard for wins in the short term. I don't totally get it. I mean, what's the incentive here is is to lock up the number one seed it's to get people's attention it's to scare people off maybe it's to attract buyout guys or trade targets uh, here over the next month or two I mean maybe that's factoring mm-hmm. into their decision or it could just be a blind spot you know from D'Antoni's coaching style passed down to Nash as you're describing I'm not totally sure it doesn't seem like the smartest approach but I also feel like the vibes are so good right now they're just riding the wave man they're just going with it <laughs> I mean, we'll see what happens with Andre Roberson, who they signed, who hasn't played. I mean, he played against the Lakers for like, what, five minutes? It was his first game. Michael, it's like, like in- it's Mad Libs right now. The guys they're pulling, Iman Shumpert, you know, Roberson, they're pulling guys out of absolutely nowhere. It's, it's, it's wild, honestly. I mean, Tyler Johnson goes down and it's like a mini crisis. <laughs> so, so, so like, I don't know. Like, I just like, Noah Vonley they sign, and I don't know. I don't. I don't know if he's an NBA player anymore. Um, TLC basically like out of the rotation all of a sudden. So like, I, I, I don't. I just think there's a lot of question marks here. It's such a top-heavy team. Um, but boy, if you can be a top. Boy, that top can, is heavy if, though, Michael. <laughs> that top's yeah, but, real heavy. It's looking good. No, if you. If you can be top heavy, this is how you want to be top heavy. I 100% agree with you, but I just like fundamentally, it goes back to, I guess, uh, a thought I had when they first put this roster together. And I was like, if this team is down 2 1 in the second round against like the Miami Heat or the Toronto Raptors or a team like that that just will not beat itself, like, I just can't see them coming back 
<laughs> from a deficit like that. I can't. And so it's really hard for me to look at this team and be like, yeah, they're going to win the championship. I just so I can't see it. Jackson, there you have it. I'm on board with you. I'm having a great time on this joyride. Michael <laughs> thinks they're frauds with no heart, and they're not going to be able to dig out of a hole in the playoffs. I, I love it. I love the hot takes from Michael. I don't care if I had to put those words in your mouth or not. Hey, speaking of vibes, you know, we had some great vibes in Brooklyn. The vibes in Boston right now, Michael, not so great. I mean, and I hate to bring this up again so quickly. It probably feels like a troll move. Do, do you hate to bring this up? No, actually not. I, I've been looking forward to this conversation <laughs> all weekend. Um, that game Sunday between the Boston Celtics and the New Orleans Pelicans was the worst loss I've seen by any team this season, man. A 24-point blown lead. I swear I thought Brandon Ingram was asleep on the court during the third quarter when Boston was building that lead. I thought like the Pelicans were playing maybe three or four players during that game. I mean, they had absolutely no life to them whatsoever. Here they come storming back with Zion Williams playing point guard and shredding the Boston Celtics defense. Doesn't matter how many centers you put on the court simultaneously, Michael. You still couldn't stop this guy. Ingram finally catches fire going down the stretch. They pull it out in overtime. Tatum, you know, shot selection issues again, but he comes through with a couple of clutch jumpers and everybody gets really excited and then poof, they can't get it done in overtime. Michael, I got to say, I'm doubling down on what I had mentioned just sort of in passing, I think, last week. To me, when you add up all the factors, you take a look at where they were coming out of the bubble. You take a look at how the Hayward situation went down. You take a look at their best move this offseason being Tristan Thompson. You take a look at the lineup fit questions now that they have trying to play two centers and getting stuck you know, without the shooting that they had last year. When you take a look at the fact that both of their young stars are playing well and they can still barely keep their record above 500. When you take a look at the fact that Marcus Smart's not out there because he's injured. When you take a look at the fact that now Kemba Walker is not only not really a Kyrie replacement, he's actually lost the trade against Terry Rozier because Terry Rozier is completely outplaying him this season. And Kemba Walker's contract is starting to trend towards, you know, John Wall or Russell Westbrook territory for Boston. To me, the Celtics look like the biggest disappointments in the NBA season to date. I had such high hopes for these guys this year. I thought it should have been their conference. Brooklyn came through and completely took their spot. And now I just wonder, where's the direction, right? Where's the structure? Where are they building towards? They don't have these future first-round picks anymore, Michael. Danny spent them all, and he basically didn't get any young guys to help the two young stars that are actually contributing right now. They're a mess, and I just would like you to just please, can you admit it? Can you just admit it here? It's just you and me talking here, Michael. The team is a mess right now. It might not be a mess forever. You didn't see this season going this way, did you? And how are you feeling? (laughs) Um, veteran move by you, I got to say, you know, you have the high expectations. And then when the team struggles a little bit, it's the team's fault and not your own for getting it wrong. So I mean, kudos to you for just that, that uh, unbelievable analytical move by, uh, in, in assessing the Boston Celtics and their struggles. So I just want to get that out of so the way So you, you, you didn't think coming off of an Eastern Conference Finals where they dig out of that hole, showing that heart that you say the Brooklyn Nets lack, and they push it to you know six games, and the lineup looks like it fits perfectly. And here's Tatum, this ascendant star who you've called a family member, and Jalen Brown looking like an all-star starter. Mm-hmm. 
You didn't think these guys were going to own the Eastern Conference? I mean, that's not saying a ton. I mean, look at these teams. We've got Coach Bud melting down every single spring. We've got the Philadelphia 76ers with, you know, still, you know, struggles offensively despite Joel Embiid playing an MVP level and all these moves targeted, you know, more shooting. I mean, it's not exactly, uh, you know, the, the toughest race out there. Michael, the Boston Celtics should be atop that group. And here comes Brooklyn and Sean Marks doing all the stuff that Danny wanted to do. Michael, you remember back during the pre-draft for 2007, Danny was tampering with Kevin Durant. Well, Sean Marks went and got Kevin Durant. You remember Danny bringing in Kyrie Irving. He's going to be the face of the franchise, get his jersey retired there in TD Garden. Well, that didn't work out so well. Now Kyrie Irving's playing his best basketball that we've seen in years in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. I'm sure you remember the Boston Celtics lusting after James Harden when he was a young prospect with the Oklahoma City Thunder, only to settle for a Jeff Green and trade. And now Sean Marks got that deal done too. It feels to me, I think the other week you said Danny Ainge is a top three GM in the NBA. Is he maybe fourth in the Atlantic division right now, Be behind Masai, Daryl Murray, and Sean Marks? I mean, is that really the pecking order? Just throw him behind Leon Rose. I mean, that's what's the difference I mean, when you really break it down? I mean, quickly, he's looking a lot better than anything else Danny did this this offseason. I mean, what have you done for me lately, Danny Ainge? Uh, we should have at All-Star Weekend Peyton Pritchard go one-on-one against Emmanuel quickly, and we'll, we'll, I'll make you eat those words right there. For the, but, for the right to the Atlantic Division's fourth best GM, <laughs> <laughs> this is how it's going to be settled. Um, okay, I'm laying it on a little thick, obviously, Michael. You know, it, yes. it's fun to do this, but I really am disappointed in them. I don't think I was falsely inflating expectations. And you've made the point Kemba had the injury issues, you know, potentially coming into the season. The Hayward situation was touch and go. But a lot of things are breaking against Boston right now. And I guess when you see a loss like that, and I know your first, you know, judging by your tweets, your first inclination there yesterday was to just chalk it up. Hey, look, you know, big leads get blown these days. The body mm-hmm. language doesn't look great. Kemba already came out last week saying stuff was wrong. It can't get much worse than this after they drop games to Detroit and Washington. He was saying there's no point to having a players only meeting. Those things don't work. And, I mean, he is shooting 37% from the field right now. He's not getting to the basket. He's not getting to the free throw line. I think 10% of Kemba's attempts this year are coming from within three feet. That's not the Kemba walk that I know, you know? I mean, that's a guy who just cannot get by people going to the basket like he used to be able to do it, taking three free throws a game. That's not going to get it done. I mean, these feel like some pretty serious concerns. And I know you've wanted to buy time, buy time, buy time with this group, your panic is not going up at all, Michael, when you're seeing the Toronto Raptors, a team that the NBA somehow threw down to Tampa Bay. They didn't even play. They didn't win a game for like the first month of the season. Now Tampa, uh, the Tampa Bay Raptors, are above the Boston Celtics in the standings, Michael. Yeah, so I guess first of all, you know, we look at what the Celtics did last year in the bubble. Um, they lose Gordon Hayward, who looks like an all-star down in Charlotte. They started this season without Kemba Walker, who is still working his way back from a knee issue that it. I don't know what the deal is, honestly. Um, I haven't really heard him speak about it. His three-point shot is super inconsistent right now, and that was a big catalyst for their offense last season. Those pull-up threes are just really deadly. Michael, um, how many big shots did he miss against New Orleans? I lost track. Was it like 14 or 15 or 16? I mean, down the stretch, every time the ball got kicked to him, it was a brick. Every time. 
Well, so like I just don't generally. I'm not riding the roller coaster this season. So the Celtics beat the Denver Nuggets a couple days ago. That was a nice win. Um, that Washington Wizards team that you mentioned that they lost to has not lost since. They beat the Rockets, the Nuggets, and the Blazers in their next three games. So just a lot of weird stuff is happening. And when it's February, I just I can't get into panic mode, especially when like Tatum is an all-star, 22-year-old all-star, whose pull-up threes are just like heaven-sent like kisses from an angel. And he still has so many, not so many, but he has this like really strange shot selection issue. Um, and you would think that it's like easily correctable eventually. So I'm just like not concerned, that concerned about him. And then Jalen Brown, I picked a start in the All-Star game, and I think he probably should have. He's going to be an All-Star regardless. So I look at those two guys, and it's just it's really difficult to get super worked up knowing that in a playoff series, both of them will be on the court a lot. And when this, both of them are on the court this season, the Celtics have a net rating of 7.4 or something like that. So it's just... I. I, I, you throw in Marcus Smart's injury, who is a, a critical part of everything that they do. When he's not in there, you know they have to play Shemi Ojale a bunch and Aaron Nismith, and they got to play um, these weird, awkward lineups with Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice or Rob Williams and Daniel Tice, and like those lineups aren't going to be in a playoff series. So I just I can't get too worked up uh, about the regular season with this team. Okay, it's fair, just, it's fair not... enough. Fair enough. I'm going to let you off the hook. No matter how hard I push here, you're you're never gonna you're never gonna no. break. Unfortunately, it was amazing <laughs> how much they missed Marcus Smart in that Pelicans comeback. Right? I mean, they they have these transition leak out opportunities behind their defense where guys are just running out and getting layups and getting dunks. And I'm just sitting there thinking time after time, Marcus Smart would never let this happen, right? He's getting back on defense. He's making sure he's a, a body back there contesting or he's trying to get a chase down block. He's just making it a lot more difficult for New Orleans in key moments to score in those situations. You see some of the stagnant ball movement and the shot selection stuff you're talking about with Tatum. Um, you know, Marcus Smart, uh, you know, he, he's a valuable, you know, shot taker or ball mover in, in late game situations. I think that some of their flow, um, even though he's not like this pure playmaking passing type guy, some of their flow in late in games is actually better with him on the court than off. And they've been missing him in those situations as well. And then just the general toughness too. I hate to see that Boston team roll over like that against uh, the Pelicans. I mean, New Orleans is not that good. I watch a lot of their games. I've been enjoying the uh, the Zion experience here recently. They're very beatable, and they were asking to be beat on Sunday, and Boston just didn't do it. And again, if you have Marcus Smart out there, I'm telling you they win that game uh, going away. They they never collapse like they do. So I agree that's one major missing piece. Uh, Speaking of missing pieces, though, if you're not panicked, and I'm assuming that the Boston front office isn't panicked, they still can't look at this roster and say, hey, we've got great uh, playoff matchups and rotations and lineups. It's, re- I mean, they got three centers who they're trying to find time for. They play two of them constantly together. We saw last year with Philadelphia. That's not going to be a functional formula. That's just not going to work in the playoffs, especially if you're trying to match up with these teams that have big time perimeter firepower. They have to make a move here. What is your best plausible trade exception trade? Because Danny did get the biggest trade exception of all time back for Gordon Hayward rather than a player. 
he's got to use that thing. Don't you don't you feel like the pressure to use that is ramping uh, up here over these last two months just because they do have some lineup holes. They miss Hayward's secondary playmaking, secondary scoring, uh, you know, versatility on the wing. Now, of course, you're not going to get a player of Hayward's caliber with that exception. But do you see someone they could use that exception and maybe, you know, a future pick to bring in for some short term help? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's tough because, I mean, if you were Danny, I don't think that you would use the trade exception this season based on how critical you've been of what you've seen from the Celtics, right? That is would true. You agree with that, that is true. I would save my boss's money and be like, sorry, I screwed up the Gordo thing. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to waste more of your money on a team that's not going anywhere. So we're just going to play for the future. That's probably how I would handle it. How would you handle it? Right. So, I mean, I would like to see this team. I mean, I I think a lot can happen, obviously, in the next month before the trade deadline. And I want to see how the Celtics look when they're healthy, when Marcus Smart returns after the All-Star break, um, gets reintegrated into... I mean, these guys just haven't really like played... I, I said this on the last pod, but like Kemba, Marcus, Jalen... And Tatum just really haven't played at all um, together this season. Like, and so in the playoffs, that foursome is like you're. It's absolutely critical. So you know, I think it might be a, a tiny bit of a leap of faith to think that there's anything the trade exception could do that would make you uh, a good enough team that could win four straight playoff series. I don't know. There's a couple players who. I'm liking, and I don't know. I just don't know what it would take to get them. I don't know how. Um, it's really difficult this year because a couple of the players who I think they would be interested in have gotten hurt, <laughs> like seriously hurt, and we don't know what they're going to look like going forward. So Aaron Gordon's been out. Larry Nance Jr. has been out. Those are two players that I think would really fit well in with how Boston plays and what they need. But... Um, the other thing is just like there's a lot of teams because of the play-in situation. A lot of teams have talked themselves into, hey, I think we can make the playoffs even if they're really bad. So it's a great of, point. Guess, like, you, you have fewer sellers this year, and I think you actually have a lot of buyers because you got teams like the Nets, Lakers, Clippers, Jazz, mm-hmm. who are all feeling like this is our window, this is our time. Some of those teams are already super invested. I should have mentioned the Bucks as well. So this could actually be, you know, a seller's market if any of those teams want to come forward with pieces. But like you're saying, mm-hmm. a lot of those teams are probably going to hold their pieces longer than in a typical year because they do have something to play for. At the same time, we have seen about four or five teams shake out here with, you know, pretty rough records falling out of the pace. So it's possible with another month of basketball, other teams are going to be making similar decisions like Detroit did with the Blake Griffin or Cleveland did with Andre Drummond, where there will be some pieces uh you know, uh, coming up. But I think your your read on the market is exactly right. There's going to be a lot more interested buyers uh, in this title chase than sellers that will drive the price mm-hmm. up for a team like Boston. And it does become the situation of, do we feel like legitimate contenders or not? And if there's any hesitation there, you're probably not going to want to pay a premium price to, uh, to, to grab mm-hmm. a player in that spot. But continue. Exactly. And if you don't think you can win it all, then you're definitely not going to spend that money this season. I think that there, I'll throw two names at you. And again, I don't know. Bring them on. What would no hedges realist- necessary. Let's let's do it. Who are we getting? <laughs> let's save these Celtics, Michael, because they're a disgrace right now. OK, so uh, my first player is 
a guy who I think I'm having regret about not including on my All-Star Reserves team, I'm not going to lie. Uh, Nikola Vucevic. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've, I've heard some arguments on his behalf as well. So why do you regret not including him on your All-Star, and how available mm-hmm. do you think he is? I think he's just – why I regret it is he's an absolute monster. And even though I wrote a feature about the Orlando Magic earlier this season, I've, like, forgot that they're an organization and – just I, I can't even bring myself to watch their games. There's just so many injuries. It feels so pointless. But you look at his numbers every morning, and they're incredible. Like he's having a terrific season, and his skill set is one that elevates everyone around him because he's a big who can shoot threes, who's a really good passer. So, so Michael, I, is I, he going to play two guard for Boston, and you can get maybe three or four center lineups simultaneously, or how do you envision this playing out? Is he just going to take Tice's spot and and you kick Thompson to the bench, or what do you do? No, you, I mean you you rejigger things so that Thompson is bringing the ball up and initiating the <laughs> offense, and then you run those Thompson Vucevic pick and pops, and it's just it's deadly. Uh, no, I I don't like obviously. <laughs> I mean, Thompson is someone who they just they're not getting really anything out of. And he was benched um, down the stretch of that Pelicans loss. And Rob Williams was the guy who they had in the court. So I like I don't I don't really know. Again, like formulating a trade is very difficult. I mean, if I was Orlando, I'm like, give us picks. Um, We believe in ourselves next season when we're healthy. So like we're going to keep this guy first and foremost. But if we were to move him, give us picks, give us like your best young players like give us Neesmith, uh Romeo who probably has no value anyway so it's kind of pointless to even bring his name into the conversation uh, I just don't know if the Celtics would even have enough to to make this attractive enough for Orlando to part ways with Vooch because he's so central to everything that they do but no, w- that's just a name I want to throw out there no I'm with you on that I think that they have a tricky path right now to getting a third star um, if you're not counting Kemba as a star and right now I can't just based on how he's playing um, his contract is difficult to move just because of its size um, and just questions about his health. And then the other pieces that you're describing, I think their best move in terms of if they want to go and get a third star, and, and probably if you're going to go all in with that kind of a move, you're probably wanting someone even better than Vucevic, right? But it's going to be this idea of of the Brooklyn special of, you know, here's four future first round picks spread out and, and pick swaps and all that stuff. And that's a very anti Danny Ainge move to do, right? Kind of goes against everything he's done for the last, you know, decade or 15 years. But I feel like that's pretty much their best option to get a big time player because they're supporting cast and young guys. Just there aren't, you know, a lot of really like enticing uh, type prospects besides the top two who I, I'm sure that you view as un- untouchable. So it's a tricky spot for them to be in. Who was your other name? Uh, and by the way, Robert Williams, he should be playing a lot more, right? I mean, I felt like the level of politeness from the Boston media in, towards Brad in last game's uh, post-game press conference was mm-hmm. was really nice. Um, people just kind of beating around the bush about it, but is it, shouldn't he just be playing a lot more? Wait, did you sit in on Brad Stevens' post-game press conference? I'm that, I'm interested now. Well, I, I watched the YouTube back afterwards because I was writing about them for my newsletter so I could crush them properly and give them their, <laughs> their due. Um, no, I like to do that. You don't you don't listen in on the Zooms every once in a while? I can't. They give me a headache. I'm not going to lie. Um, okay, so the next player I want to throw <laughs> Wait, out there is... Does that work? <laughs> when you tell your bosses, sorry, I can't just do any reporting, it gives me a headache? 
No, I, no I, I'll do the Zooms if I'm having one-on-one conversations with people, but I'm not sitting in and listening to other people talk. That's just not – I'm not doing that. I'm sorry. Well, I, I, too much screen time. It's not healthy. Okay, that's fair. I, I do like it just for the dynamics with the local reporters because with Brad, it's like, hi, Brad. Um, you know, obviously, like, <laughs> Tristan uh, did not really play well at all for, like, the 63rd straight game, and Robert had that incredible block shot where he extended his arm and jumped forward and got completely all ball and blocked a three-pointer by Brandon Ingram, and he's just kind of all over the place and really, really good, and I think everyone on the internet likes Rob. Like, did you give any consideration possibly maybe to, um, you know, playing Rob a little bit more late in the game? What would you think? It's just great. I love it, man. I absolutely love it. First of all, I agree. I agree. Rob Williams should be playing more. He's very exciting. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, this is not a Boston the, only thing, by the way. This happens in all these like local. Be- I mean, it's it's oh, it's sure. tough to ask a coach a lineup question. So I'm just having fun with yeah. it, and it's also tough to do it over Zoom, where you can't really get a feel or a rapport. And no, I, in general, I do think the post game zooms are pretty tough. You know, it's there are a lot of situations where just. Guys are just trying to get through it. They're saying what they, they expect people want to hear, and they move forward. Uh, but every once in a while, I like to drop in, and, and they can be fun. And, and certainly the Nets have been mm-hmm. having some great post-game Zooms. So I encourage uh, I encourage you to <laughs> to take in a leave, Michael, and hop on the Nets post-game Zoom call. I'm sure you'd love it. But uh, your second nominee after Vucevic. Yes. Yeah, so next up, uh, this is a name that I think Celtics fans have been really keeping a close eye on, and that's Harrison Barnes who has missed the last three games and Sacramento is just in a total tailspin ever since I picked De'Aaron Fox to make the all-star team. Is it six straight losses? uh, It is, no, I think it's more than that. It's seven. Yeah, it's seven straight. Seven straight Um, losses. Michael, Michael, Michael. Yeah, Yeah, that was the determining factor for me with my final all-star picks, by the way. I took Conley over Fox you know, I was trying. Oh. I was trying to buy into this idea of okay. You know, let's give Fox his due. He's he's carrying a tough team, and then I realized how many games they were losing in a row, and I was like, "Come on, this is not your values. Let's just yeah. reward winning." It's so hard to win consistently this year. I gave Utah the three representatives, and I slept great. I slept great about it, you know, and I had no regrets whatsoever, Michael. And I wonder if the coaches <laughs> will do the same. Anyway, Harrison Barnes, perfect fit for Boston, exactly what they're missing, that mm-hmm. uh, multi-positional front court defender. And like you're saying, Sacramento's in a tailspin. He should be available, right? I don't know why he wouldn't be beyond the fact that like the Sacramento Kings bounce back, turn their season around already, and they probably think they can do it again because I don't know. Um, but yeah, Harrison Barnes just positional versatility can shoot the three you can throw him the ball he can score he can get to the free throw line um he's really just like the perfect guy to put next to Jalen and Tatum like in a closing lineup I could see um uh you know those three plus Marcus plus a big would be really difficult to score on if not impossible so uh so yeah, he's just someone, and then you look at his contract, and it's terrific. It's declining annually, um, given the contract uh, commitments that Boston has to Kemba and to Jalen and uh, to Tatum. Like that's pretty attractive, I think, uh, financially. Uh, but like, I don't know again what it would take to get him, and I don't know. Like if let's theoretically, let's just say you slid him into the trade exception for like a second round pick just for the purpose of this argument. 
Like, what do you make of the Boston Celtics with Harrison Barnes just kind of like splashed onto this roster? Well, you were talking about me raising expectations and being unfair and all that. I'm getting excited about the Boston Celtics if they get Harrison Barnes, (laughs) and I'm afraid that I'm even saying that, but... I think it would take more than a second round pick at this point because he's been playing really, really well uh, oh, yeah. this season. Yeah, yeah. But I, he's the kind of guy who I would think long and hard about sacrificing some future draft assets to grab him because uh, the trade exception is not going to last forever. It's a massive hole that Hayward left, bigger than I even expected than it would be. Positionally, if you're trying to match up with Chris Middleton or Giannis or KD, um, or some of these other Ben Simmons, some of these guys you're going to have to go through in the playoffs, a Jimmy Butler. I mean, ha- Harrison Barnes is helping with that equation. He's not going to solve those problems, but he's definitely helping and, and far more than any of those pieces that Boston has in that spot right now. I mean, mm-hmm. if Danny doesn't do this, I'm going to be even more disappointed, Michael. Now you've talked to me and this is <laughs> such a good idea that it definitely needs to happen. Would you be willing to sacrifice real draft assets to grab him? When you say real draft assets, do you mean like future firsts that are unprotected or something like no, that? No, like, you know, say two future firsts, top 10 protected, something like that. I don't know. I'm just coming up with things off the fly here. Yeah. Um, no, I think that, like, when I look at the Celtics and kind of how their roster is constructed, like, this is, like, like forfeiting future firsts for someone like Harrison, who is in his prime now, can help you this season, can help you next season, can help you the season after that. Like, it just makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know that they have to probably re-sign Marcus Smart at some point throughout all this and pay him money, assuming that his market value is through the roof, which it may be. But, um, but no, I think that it's like there's only so many rookies that you can add to a team that's trying to win the championship. Like, I, and that's what the Celtics should think of themselves as in that, in that group. So I would give up, I don't know how, what I exactly, but like what you just described wouldn't be out of the question to me. Love it. Love it, Michael. I love this. Well, we're fixing the Celtics for Danny Ainge. I hope he's still listening. Um, what do you think, uh, just last question quickly for Boston, you know, there's been a bunch of guys, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, DeMarcus Cousins talked about as, as buyout guys. Do any of them make sense for Boston or is that just not a situation where maybe Boston needs more than they can provide or they just don't have need at those particular positions? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, hmm. like if they could get Blake Griffin for absolutely nothing, why not? <laughs> sure. Um assuming there's something left in the tank which maybe there is given all the time that he has to rest his body right now i besides that like boogie no i don't think so um andre drummond probably not so i guess like big picture not like zero i'm not excited about any of these options and when i look at the general buyout market it kind of goes back to what we said earlier about like so many teams being in contention and then you look at the teams that are terrible and you look at their rosters and you're like well they're terrible for a reason and all the players who are on these teams that are actually valuable to championship contenders will be traded for probably one would think so i like you know thad young like is he getting bought out i don't i don't know is pj tucker getting bought out probably not i would not buy him out if i was houston i would try to trade him um nemanja bialisa like is he gonna get bought out i I, who knows like he's a pretty good stretch four i would uh, if i was sacramento i'd try to get second round picks for him so um it's 
it's going to be really interesting and there's it's going to be a very competitive market too as you said there's a lot of teams that think they can win the championship not just boston so i i just don't know who who they are would be able to get in that scenario no michael you got a great taste in players who are going to be traded and not bought out with that list i think that was awesome (laughs) 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 it was very very well done this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the centurion lounge (sighs) is he connecting to complimentary wi-fi oh my look at that he is and you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Let's shift gears here to the Minnesota uh, Timberwolves situation. Now they're seven and twenty-four. Uh, NBA's worst record. Ryan Saunders gets fired after a loss to the New York Knicks, who are coached by Tom Thibodeau. I believe it was their fourth straight loss. It's been a rough season, a rough go. They can't keep their main two guys healthy. Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell have famously only played five games together since the Timberwolves traded for uh, Russell last year. Why they need to make this move at this particular moment, Michael? And what did you make of Gerson Rosas's decision to essentially line up Toronto Raptors assistant Chris Finch, who he knows dating back to their shared time uh, with the Houston Rockets, just line him up as an outside hire during the middle of the season, something that's rarely done. I don't think it's been done almost in a decade or something like that. I mean, some people were calling it shady. A lot of people are upset that they didn't just promote David Vanterpool, uh, who's an assistant coach there in Minnesota, and make him an interim coach. 
what did you think about Minnesota's thought process, their execution, and the timing of all of it? And what did you make of Ryan Saunders and, and his era as coach? Well, okay, I'll start at the end there with your last question. Um, I don't really know what to make of Ryan Saunders, to be honest. Like, I don't know how anyone could. How could you evaluate him given, like, everything that that organization has gone through since he became head coach? Like, I don't think that he's Greg Popovich, and I don't think that he's, uh, let me see, Derek Fisher. <laughs> so, um, so like, it's, it's tough. It's really tough to evaluate these guys. Uh, they make a trade for, you know, they, they redo the front office entirely while he's there. He stays on, and then they make this seismic trade for D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns have played, what, like four games, five games together, I think, since that trade was made? Like, it's just been it's it's been tough, man. Like, and they're tr- they're clearly like they should be trying to rebuild, but I think internally they don't think that. Maybe I don't know. They just drafted a, the number one overall pick, uh, who ended a life over the weekend uh, in Utah Watanabe from the Toronto Raptors. So, so yeah, um, it's it's. I was a little surprised to be honest with you that they went this way because sure they're the worst team in the league, but who would look at everything that they've gone through um, on and off the court and think that uh, they should be a successful basketball team? Like I, I honestly, if I'm being serious, like I look at um, someone like Jaden McDaniels, and I don't know how much you've watched of him this season, but he looks like freaking terrific and so i give credit to the head coach of the team sometimes when a player like that who's a rookie is playing super disciplined defense and has a ton of confidence instilled in him because he's playing in crunch time because the head coach is playing him then and looks like a potential building block so i I don't know i don't know where i fall i'm just it's just weird and anytime a coach gets fired to me it's like it's it's usually not their fault. Yeah, so let's let's get to the um, the replacement uh, scenario here in a second. My analysis mm, yeah. of Ryan Saunders is this. He might be the nicest person in the entire NBA. He's an incredibly, incredibly warm and personable person. I, I think he gets that, you know, handed down from his father, the, the late Flip Saunders. He's a genuine guy. He is a great communicator. He is, as I wrote a couple years ago, the first millennial coach in NBA history. Um, and I think that... Those skills are very valuable. They should keep him in an assistant coaching job, I would imagine, here pretty soon. Um, you know, someone's mm. going to want to grab him back, or maybe he goes and is a college head coach if he prefers to do that. Um, the problem that he had, and I do think you can kind of, you know, analyze his performance in this regard despite the injuries, is they were consistently in position to win games late in games, and they just found new and incredible ways to blow those games. Every single week, like every Wednesday night, I do a, um, a locker room, uh, you know, audio conversation with Mike Trudell, who's the Lakers sideline reporter. Uh, sorry, shameless plug here. There is a point to it. Mike is from Minnesota. And so almost every single Wednesday night when we're doing these locker rooms, the Timberwolves are playing. And so we always kind of keep one eye on their game as it's going. And like every single Wednesday for the last month and a half, they just find a way to blow an eight-point lead in the last two minutes of a game. And there's all sorts of weird stuff. They're sloppy. They're unorganized. They don't really know where they want to go. They're making dumb mental mistakes. And I really think this is a situation where like instead of being 7-24, and if Minnesota had been, I don't know, 11-20, and I think they probably are keeping Ryan Saunders. But I think it's just sort of that accumulation of this frustration of of just kind of like not reaching bare competence in those late-game situations. 
and and the consistent feeling of losing games you felt like you should have won uh, is kind of what did him in. And I think it just much like young players, I think the same thing happens for young coaches. You know, he's going to look back, I imagine, 10 years. He's probably going to be coaching for the next 40 or 50 years of his life. It's because he's going to be a coaching lifer just like his dad was. And he's going to look back when he was, you know, in his early 30s and be like, wow, you know, if I only knew then what I know now, right, in Mm. in 10 or 20 years. And so I I do think that's a situation where he was a, a short term bridge solution coming out of the Thibodeau era, a player-friendly guy who had good relationships with the main players, uh, especially to start. And it was just about, you know, that that in-game execution, the discipline necessary, you know, being able to change speeds with your guys and, and be the tough coach when you need to, that maybe eluded him. Um, but I think that that's probably why Minnesota makes this move at, at this particular point. Um, not that they should be in the playoff picture, right? But three or four wins here and there, it keeps everybody's mood and it keeps the owner happy. The other issue they've got going here, Michael, is that Garrison Rosas needs to show some results, right? And I, I think he's probably feeling a little bit of pressure too. Remember, he invested Andrew Wiggins in that first round pick to go get a D'Angelo Russell. To me, Russell has been, you know, a, a terrible uh, move so far for them. I mean, he they have well, really got nothing from him, whether it's by injuries or on the court. And mm-hmm. Wiggins has been a much better fit in Golden State, and they lose that first round pick potentially. Um, you know, if it transfers to Golden State this year, which would be a, a real blow. And so at that point, if you're the front office, what are you selling to ownership? Like, what have you done that's actually been a good move? And you can say, hey, Malik Beasley was a nice pickup. He's producing. But, you know, right now you've got nothing else to sell. And so you, you kind of need somebody to blame. And I think that's why the coach goes under the bus here. Yeah, I was about to say real quick, if like just looking back at that Wiggins Russell trade like I wouldn't trade Wiggins for Russell straight up <laughs> right now like I I just think Wiggins is a better player like and so maybe that is situational because of him being in in Golden State in that environment but like he looks really good and Russell obviously has not been able to stay healthy that's the big thing since he went to Minnesota but also he kind of we just know who D'Angelo Russell is and he made that one all-star team a very good year in Brooklyn. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what that means going forward in his career. He still has some of the same flaws that probably will never be corrected on defense, getting to the free throw line, finishing around the rim, that sort of thing. So, yeah, that losing that pick is just... It's rough. Man, it's devastating. Especially because, I mean, you know, that, that could be a really, really good player in this year's draft, or it just kind of hangs over if they do wind up, you know, being so bad mm-hmm. that they keep their pick this year, then it's just kind of hanging over the organization and you're just down an asset. They just bet on the wrong guy, in my opinion, in D'Angelo Russell. And I don't think that I want, I don't want to blame Ryan Saunders for that. But I, at the same time, I don't think it was an unfair firing here. I think that they can look at their late game performance and, and not living up to expectations and not really crafting an identity. You know, anytime you're bottom five or 10 in offense and defense for multiple years and you're bottom five in net rating for multiple years, I mean, that, that coach is going to be in trouble. So, Michael, are you with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum and I believe others, maybe even Mark Spears of ESPN and some others who are tweeting about David Vanterpool um, as possibly, you know, getting snubbed here or overlooked in this particular process? And it it didn't really seem like it was a full coaching search. I mean, they just, you know, uh, went straight to Chris Finch within a matter of minutes after the the news that Ryan Saunders was fired uh, broke on Sunday night. I actually went and did a little workout with the Minnesota Timberwolves as part of a story that that never ran right before COVID. And I got to say, David Vanderpool gave me some very 
motivational words as I was bricking jumpers. He said, it's not so easy, is it? And he was kind of chuckling at my poor performance. I, I do think that <laughs> that means right there, Michael, he's got head coaching material right there. And, and those Blazers guards swear by him, uh, dating back to his days as an assistant coach in Portland. Were you as offended or, or upset um, with uh, his role in this? And, and how do you think you can kind of put these pieces together going forward? Because he's still an assistant coach and this new guy's coming in during the middle of a road trip and, and going to have to put these pieces together. Yeah. So my first reaction, so I was read, I was laying in bed reading a book and I had my phone on silence, uh, as I do when I'm trying to read. And then I pick it up after like a half hour and see that the trade went down. And my first reaction was they didn't make David Vanderpool the interim head coach. Like this is someone who was in Portland for years who has interviewed for, I don't even know. I lost track cause I was going to do a story about David. I know him a little bit. Um, I text him sometimes. Uh, I've interviewed him for stories when teams are traveling to New York. He's someone that I go to and I ask questions and he's super nice with his time. So I, I'm a big fan of his in general, but like he's someone who was in Portland, super respected by everybody there, as you said with Dame and CJ's tweets, and like leaves that situation because he's not going to become the head coach of the Portland Trailblazers anytime soon. That's obvious, and uh, wants to become a head coach. He's interviewed for countless positions and openings over the past four, five, six years, and obviously has never gotten a job. And so he becomes the associate head coach in Minnesota last season. And I just, I'm, it's honestly like, you know, there's six black head coaches in the NBA right now. And I believe there were five in 1999, which is just, I might be, you know, off one or two there, but it's just like, come on. Like, what are we, the fact that there wasn't a, like the fact that you let go of Ryan Saunders and then immediately have Chris Finch in the door and Chris Finch is uh, on Nick Nurse's staff in Toronto and you have David Vanderpool sitting on the bench on your own team and you even can see him coaching during games and stuff and he's been the defensive coordinator, which is really not the title that you want uh, in Minnesota given just how wretched that that team has been on the defensive side of the ball. But, like, I don't put that on any head coach. Like, the personnel is, you know, it, we don't need to really get too much into it. But, like, the fact that they didn't give him an opportunity is just, it's it's a little disrespectful. It's a little troubling. And it was surprising. I just wish it didn't go down like yeah, that. Yeah, it was surprising, and it was breaking from typical NBA norms, which would say, hey, your, your, your lead assistant steps in in this situation midseason, right? I think, you know, from Garrison Rosas' perspective— you know, he comes into the job and his first decision was, do I keep Ryan Saunders and, and take him from an interim to a full-time coach or do I hire someone else? And at that moment, he was interviewing other candidates, including Chris Finch, and they wound up right. settling on Ryan Saunders. I was surprised when that happened. And they came out of that process, you know, expressing unity, saying, hey, we're on the same page. We're going to have a really young roster. We want a young up-and-coming coach. The community loves Ryan. He showed, you know, uh, that he can do it. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns really liked Ryan Saunders as well. And so that's why they settled on Ryan Saunders. In that situation, that's not really Garrison Rosas' guy, right? I mean, however he wants to spin it, that Ryan Saunders was there first. And I think if you're Rosas and you're feeling the pressure and you're realizing like, look, 
this trade backfired. Uh, You know, this Russell trade hasn't worked out. Carl Anthony Towns, from a free agency standpoint, he's always going to be on the clock. The rumors are going to start. At some point, you've got to have some level of progress to show to ownership. Meanwhile, ownership's talking about potentially uh, selling the organization. And on top of everything, they've had just a lot of trauma with COVID related to that organization, you know, Towns and his family as well. So there's a lot going on there. And I think in that particular moment, Rosas is probably saying like, look, if I'm going to go down here and this is my first job as an executive, I'm going down with my guy, right? And if that's going to ruffle some feathers, if that's going to lead to, you know, some coaching staff uh, hurt feelings, so be it. I want to go with a guy that I trust. And I think that's probably why he went that direction with uh, Chris Finch. Now, this is just me speculating from the outside, but that's the only way you can explain it because it is so different from what we typically see. And, you know, I I think when I'm looking forward for Minnesota, like what does a good season look like for them, Michael? I mean, how do you kind of put this together? It really puts Chris Finch in an awkward situation coming in. I'm sure he's going to have to address it with the local media. For most of the national people, it's going to blow over within a couple of days. You know, the Timberwolves aren't really on that main radar. So I don't think you have to worry so much about... Uh, you know, talking heads coming at you. Oh, you're a backstabber and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you're, you're doing all this shady. I mean, that, that kind of stuff is going to pass pretty quickly. It's more about that internal dynamic. Can you keep everybody on the same page and bought in during a season that's already looking fairly lost? Like, what does Minnesota have to do here from, from here going forward, Michael, for this to be a successful year? Well, can I go back for two seconds and just say real quick about um, Rosa's hiring Finch because he knows him and it's his guy. And, you know, they had a relationship in Houston. And I guess what's frustrating just from when I look at these things, it's like, why wasn't like someone like Vanderpool just is not ever in a position where someone that he knows that well would be in a position to hire him do you know what i mean like the network is just it's it's different for certain coaches versus others so i just want to i just want to put no that there's there there's some quick. structural inequalities baked into all aspects of american society that are undeniable and i think people who are raising questions about representation among coaches among assistant coaches among front office executives among league executives both on uh, you know, racial background issues, but also on gender issues, they're all raising very, very fair concerns. They're kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind of undeniable. And you're right. I mean, if you want to call it the old boys network, I mean, cracking into that old boys network is, is pretty difficult. And I, I think that, yeah. um, you know, it is fair for people to uh, view this move, you know, given that that's where the, the tie is coming from, you know, a, a relationship that's going back almost 10 years into uh, the Rockets G League affiliate, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers and all of that. And, uh, you know, you can understand why that's going to be fair criticism. And I think Rosas in the Timberwolves front office has to accept that criticism. At the same time, I think that tells you the true level of stakes and desperation with this particular move because you knew you were going to face that going into it. And you still did it anyways because you felt like you needed to have a guy who you kind of trust and, and dig you out of this particular spot. I think that does say something. Yeah, and I at once want to be fair to Rosas and and understand his situation. This is more a criticism of just the larger system, as you alluded to. But to answer your other question, what can the Timberwolves do to, what was it, to be, like, good this season? Well, no, just, like, what's a salvageable season, right? Because, I mean, you you could see this really going sideways. I mean, Chris Finch comes in, says, hey, everyone, I'm the new coach uh, coming over from, from Tampa. <laughs> yeah, and the, co- the other coaches are like, well, 
We have no idea who you are. Uh, we'll go through the motions down the stretch of this season. We're already the worst team in the Western Conference. You know, it'd be better for us if we just play for ping pong balls and don't actually win games. At the same time, you've got, you know, Russell, who didn't seem particularly engaged and happy this season so far. You've got Towns, who has had a really trying stretch of his life, and, and the consistent play from him is going to be your top organizational priority. You've got Malik Beasley going out there getting buckets and telling people he's supposed to be an all-star, which was one of the most amazing quotes <laughs> I saw all season long. That's a tough spot to walk into. Uh. And at the same time, uh, you know, you you could say you're upgrading from an experience standpoint um, at the coaching spot. Uh, clearly, there's some level of faith in him as a personality and as a philosopher for him to get this particular opportunity. And so, you know, there is a maybe a better case scenario where look, there maybe they could pass Houston or maybe they could pass Oklahoma City or Sacramento or a couple of these teams. And, you know, save a little bit of face down the stretch and maybe Carl Anthony Towns blossoms more as an offensive player uh, in Chris Finch's, uh, you know, philosophical view. I mean, I guess what is the benchmark now for Minnesota if they finish as the worst team in the Western Conference again this year? I don't think it would be particularly surprising, but should they be able to dream for more after making this move or do you expect backfire potential? I, well, I think that the best case scenario for this team is to keep the draft pick, right? Like that's that should be first and foremost the priority. And I don't I don't know if it is necessarily. That should that should be because there's a lot of really interesting players who could be franchise players um, in this year's draft class, supposedly. So if I'm Minnesota, that's like you know if you draft a Cade Cunningham or whoever put him with Anthony Edwards and then all of a sudden you can kind of be a little bit less stressed about what's going on with Carl Anthony Towns' contract like that's I guess like that's what I would be that's what I would really be focused on so um, you're saying Chris Finch tank commander you're coming in here to make sure (laughs) that Minnesota has the worst record in the league so they can keep that pick and it doesn't convey no I mean like just develop the young I don't first of all I don't think he has a choice like I don't know what like coaching decisions he could make that are like going to save this season. Uh, You know, having Carl Anthony Towns back who missed so much of the season when Ryan Saunders was the head coach. And then he recently returned to the lineup and he looks, he looks pretty good. uh, I would say, Um, you know, he fouls a little bit too much, I think. And you know, whatever, like I, I personally have a difficult time criticizing Carl Anthony Towns this season. Um, But but yeah, like I would play the young guys, Jaden McDaniels. I'm a huge fan of his. I, we should have like a whole segment um, about Jaden McDaniels every episode where I just get to talk about one possession that got me really excited. That would be cool. Um, what do you think about that, by the way? Could we could we fit that in on a weekly basis, you think? Um, I mean, that's going to be competing for airtime with uh, Anthony <laughs> uh, Edwards dunks. I mean... Where did you come down on the debate about Anthony Edwards' dunks? Is it okay to celebrate a dunk of a guy's 0 for 7 from 3? <laughs> this or or do we have to take into account um, true shooting percentage on the night when we're gauging a highlight? I got to say, I was thinking about you when I saw this debate because I have no idea where you were coming down <laughs> on it. Like, for me, come on. Like, I, I'm, like, through the roof excited watching stuff like that. Like, it was absolutely incredible. I don't care what he shot uh, at all. Uh, that's me. But what did you think? I – that was the closest we've seen to a real Blake Griffin dunk in a long time. That was the best oh, poster was dunk of this year. 
probably the best poster dunk of the last five years. I wish he had landed on his feet. I mean, that that's the thing is I, I'm getting into like figure skating judge routine here where I'm like kind of, you know, nitpicking here and there, you know, give, deducting from the perfect tens, but just a phenomenal dunk. Great, uh, great photos coming out from different angles of that dunk. I appreciated mm-hmm. the effort uh, in terms of trying to protect the rim. You know, that's, that really makes a true poster is if the defensive player is in reasonable position is actually giving a pretty good uh, attempt to block it which there was and Edwards just kept going and going and going and climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing and just a completely authoritative and clean finish I loved it you know look uh, this goes back to maybe our Zach Levine conversation from last week I do think there can be Mm -hmm. a healthy balance Michael you know I think that people get a little bit too carried away for example Zach Levine on Saturday night he guns down the Sacramento Kings, you know, real tough. Uh, worst defense in the entire league. And he's just going nuts on them. Super efficient night. And it's nothing but Zach Levine, all-star. Uh, Zach Levine's the greatest Chicago Bull since Michael Jordan. All this different stuff I'm seeing on Twitter. Just everybody's going crazy. But you go back to Friday night, playing against a real defense in the Philadelphia 76ers down the stretch of that game. First of all, he's very inefficient uh, almost all night. Late in that game, they actually start to throw some pretty smart and concentrated double teams on Zach Levine the final two minutes of the game. He goes turnover, miss shot, miss shot, miss shot, miss shot, miss shot in the final two minutes, and they lose, and it's just completely crickets on Twitter. No one's saying a single thing. And even during that game, I tune in, and Richard Jefferson's telling me about how he's an all-star level player. And it's like, all right, the young kids, Michael, would say keep the same energy, right? If you're going to be celebrating and going absolutely nuts when a guy is torching a terrible defense in the Sacramento Kings game, and he's winning a squirt gun fight in a meaningless game between two lottery teams. Let's go ahead and keep that same energy and focus and level of analysis and discussion when things don't go quite so well against real competition like the Philadelphia 76 So that's that's my only point. I'm not trying to I'm not gonna go out there and rain on his parade while he's doing it against Sacramento, but I think a real genuine honest conversation has room for critique as well. And we're not just sitting around here saying, oh, I simp for Zach Levine. I stand for Zach Levine. I mean, we could be a little bit um, you know, more balanced about it. And same thing with Anthony Edwards. It is mm-hmm. possible in the same moment to say, that's the best dunk I've seen probably since 2013. And as of this moment, Anthony Edwards is probably a B minus or a C plus overall as a rookie, Uh, you know, falling short of even modest expectations. And it's not all his fault. And I'm sure that's going to be a top priority for Chris Finch coming in as well. But um, not quite as good as I had hoped or expected, not as efficient as he's going to need to be. And it's still a work in progress. And we don't need to dwell on that uh, forever because he's a teenager. But it also can be brought into the conversation at the appropriate time. That's my take. What do you think? I'll accept nuance into the Zach Levine discussion for sure I I disagree with you but we can quibble as to mature adults I will have no such criticism of Anthony Edwards I'm sorry like if you dunk like that you are a god and you belong on Mount Olympus and that's it sorry end of discussion here it is here it is I simp for ant <laughs> just get the t-shirts printed up I mean no I mean this this is a trend in in NBA analysis that does grind my gears a little bit now mm-hmm. um, you can go too far the other way there absolutely there's a time and place for criticism and in the best moment of a guy's life that's probably not the time and place right <laughs> and, and I, I think that's what that's what we would call that dunk 
All right, Michael, I think we've reached the end of another episode of Open Floor. You know, we tried to fix the Celtics and it took a half an hour. So that you know, really ate up a lot of our conversation today. But that's okay, because that means we have a bunch of awesome questions from the Open Floor Globe that they sent in that we're going to roll over to our episode uh, on Thursday. Now, Michael, we're also going to be able to break down the finalized all-star rosters on that episode as well. We can talk about snubs or any of that good stuff. Um, you know, once those get announced officially on Tuesday night by TNT. Guys, you can email us openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. You can find Michael on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Villas and Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golver, on Twitter at Ben Golver. And be sure to go to uh, Apple Podcasts and search for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. All right, Michael, until later this week when we're going to get into the Philadelphia 76ers, the Los Angeles Lakers without Anthony Davis, and some other awesome questions. Talk soon, Ben. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.